Brought to you by Business Fights Poverty. Hello and welcome to Business Fights Poverty Spotlight Interviews. I am Katie Heisen, Director of Thought Leadership. Each week, these interviews provide you with the insights from a different perspective of Business Fight Poverty Network, giving you first-hand understanding of how businesses and others are working on some of the world's biggest social challenges. What does climate resilience mean? And why does it need to be a vital part of business and community activities as we get ready for the full impacts of climate change? Meet Peter Hall. He is the Vice President and Global Director of Climate Resilience and ESG at Wood PLC. Peter is a specialist in all things climate resilience. Whether building climate resilient cities, homes and infrastructure, investing in climate resilience or developing frameworks to help navigate resilient actions. Peter is on the UNFCCC Race to Resilience Climate Champions team. He is on the advisory board for the Resilience First organization and a member of the World Economic Forum Global Future Council. Peter is the ambassador for climate resilience at the Stimson Center along with supporting the Wood, Microsoft and International Coalition for Sustainable Infrastructure Partnerships. Peter is on a mission to shift infrastructure to be climate resilient, whilst creating opportunities and positive impacts for the people that rely on their services. So without further ado, Peter, welcome. Welcome. Nice, nice to be here. Great to have you, Peter. Um, Peter, I wanted to start our conversation today. You've been looking at the intersection between people and climate action, particularly for business and the actions they should take. Why is this intersection so important to you? Yeah, it's um, it's a great question. So, you know, having just come off of uh, COP26 in Glasgow, it, it really highlighted a lot of what we're working on at Wood is the projects that we build across critical infrastructure and the businesses, the services they provide at the end of the day, it's all about improving the livelihoods of people. And what we've seen lately is, you know, a big uptick in environmental social governance um, requirements and linking what we do to, to people. So it's interesting at, at COP26 and in, in the lead up to it, actually, um, even when you're looking at energy transition and, and net zero, Really, what they're talking about is creating a better world where people can withstand future shocks. We don't have storms that are as as big as they are now, but where it really gets into people and where it's really important to, to me personally and for our company is even if we get to a world that's a one point five or a two point you know zero c world, we're still going to have increasing climate risks and shocks and impacts that are going to always be there. So then you're talking about people. So how can people better withstand future climate impacts? And it's not even just withstand climate impacts. What we're seeing is how can they perhaps grow different types of food or, you know, increase their livelihoods or improve their health? So there's so many ripple effects that really all come down to people. And the race to resilience work we're doing now, it's all key to people. So how can the work we do collectively across cities and businesses and organizations improve the resiliency of their goal is 4 billion people by, by 2030. So it, it really comes down to um, collectively, how can we improve the livelihoods of people, especially in vulnerable areas? 
And Peter, you've obviously been thinking about this quite deeply for some time. What have you learned on that journey so far? I'll give you a couple answers. One, one on a on a personal level, for sure, it's it's follow your passion. So you know, I've, I've been interested in this. I've been playing around with sustainability and management systems and in project impacts for a long time. But it's it's because it's interested in me, interested me. So the idea that you know follow your passions, even if you're you know starting off in an organization, try to keep in touch with things that interest you. And I think things will will follow. So that's one thing that's been really important. And then related to that, you have to be incredibly persistent. And you know, you can't give up easily. Um, there's been several times in my career where, where I've had to just keep plugging away, um, but eventually it will pay off. And and the other thing I've found is the idea of constant learning. And I heard this at COP26, actually, in the, in the work I do for my company. Things are changing so quickly, so much. And you look at the pandemic even. You have to, you really have to commit yourself to relearning all the time. And then the last one too is probably nurture partnerships. And that's been new for us. It's a cornerstone, I think, of the race to resilience and race to zero is you can't do it alone. So find partnerships. And actually the last one, when I was thinking of this question, even I was just answering, is the idea of pay it forward. So uh, find a good mentor. I'm actually mentoring a couple of folks now who are amazing. They're doing such a good job. I should be able to retire soon. But it's the idea of find people in your organization or partnerships or wherever you work that can mentor you. And then as you grow, mentor other people. And it absolutely helps you kind of evolve in this space. Such great advice there, Peter. Thank you so much for sharing. And I wanted to sort of look back a little bit. You talked about the Race to Resilience program that you're part of, which is obviously sister to the Race to Zero and for someone who perhaps is listening to this conversation and hasn't come across Race to Resilience yet, how would you pitch it to them? How should they get involved? Why should they get involved? What is it? Yeah, it's, it's interesting because, and this is why I got involved with the Race to Resilience, is, is the idea that we've been hearing about the Paris Accord and climate action, climate mitigation for a long time. And it's, of course, incredibly important. It's, it's collectively everything we have to do across all the sectors to reduce global warming so that hopefully we get the world to a place where, where we're only at 1.5 C. And even at that, and even if we make that, we still have a lot of climate impacts uh, across the world impacting people. And the next, the next COP, by the way, is in Africa. So Africa, which has almost a billion people that don't even have energy. So it's the idea that you have to do the energy piece, but you also have to, in tandem, make people resilient or create work where you improve the resiliency of people. So it's a sister campaign. It's only about a year old where the idea that you, you reduce energy decarbonization, but at the same time, you also collectively on a similar race, similar trajectory, improve the resiliency of people. So, so what the race to resilience is, it's, it's earlier, it, you know, it's earlier in its development, of course, than the energy piece, but already it has about 2,500 organizations, about a hundred countries and cities involved and 30, 30 partners, 30 committed partners that have members underneath them. And its goal is by 2030 to uh, catalyze action by, you know, non-state actors in the, in the private sector, of course to improve the resiliency of 4 billion people. So what, what they've done is they've looked at three critical areas where people's resiliency is really threatened. Urban, so all the city, 
work. Cities are in the coastal areas. They experience a lot of flooding and heat and, and climate shocks. Rural, which is just as important. So farmers, smallholder farmers, agricultural, they're really in the face of climate impacts. So how can they thrive in the face of future impacts? And then coastal. So everything around the world that's being impacted by coastal um, impacts. So what the Race to Resilience really does is it tries to pull together initiatives that can have a global impact with a consistent message that can find ways they as an organization or business or a non-state actor can help improve the resilience of people. Basically, what, what we're trying to do is improve their livelihoods, improve their ability to stay healthy, to stay safe, and basically thrive in the face of climate shocks that will always be there, to be honest. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. And um, for anybody who's listening to this, I will put the links to that in the words that sit alongside the podcast. Um, but also do check out some of the climate justice work that you can see across the Business Fights Poverty platform and community because you'll get loads more uh, information on, on that topic. Peter, how in particular for businesses or people who are part of businesses listening to this, should we start putting, you know, how do we put people at the heart of our climate action? It makes perfect sense that we should be doing this, but actually, how do you go about it? It's a great question. I've been thinking about this a lot, and especially since COP. From the business sector side, and even speaking as the company that I work for, Wood, I mean, we're very much shifting our work, and it's reflective of other businesses around how can we improve the sustainable development goals. Now, they didn't actually, I, I found, get talked about as much as I thought they would at COP26. These are the 17 goals to, to really create a shift in, in how we improve you know, the world across health and oceans. And, and that's probably another good link. But a, a lot of companies are, are aligning to the sustainable development goals. They're also aligning to environmental social governance, ESG. And especially since COVID, the social part, is becoming a huge driver for companies. What they do, what they make, what they build can improve the social outcomes and performance for people. So that's another lever. And then things like the, you know climate disclosures, TCFD, uh, that's another uh, area. And then what I heard in, in Glasgow, and I think will be coming up in the next year, is a similar financial disclosure for nature. So how businesses are you know impacting and can improve nature. So TNFD. So the, those are some like frameworks that are getting companies involved. And I think on a, on, a, on, a, on a broader level, there's been a lot of push from younger workers. I'll be honest. I mean, there's a lot of activists at COP. They were actually great. Um, they pushed a great message and agenda. So a lot of companies are having to respond to their workforce and what they want to see. And they want to see companies that are more than just about profit. They're about how they can basically improve their shareholders, not their stockholders. So how they're improving people along their value chain, both within their within the confines of their business, but also across their whole value chain. How are they improving the lives of you know, their supply chain, who they sell to? That's, that's becoming a, a, a big shift, I think. More and more companies are actually putting out sustainability reports that have this as a key component. And just the fact you had at this COP, what I heard was more mayors and more uh, private sector businesses at this COP than ever before. That says a lot too. Picking up on that piece about the sort of COP26 summit, which obviously took place in Glasgow quite recently for those who are listening. Um, how did you find the conference as a whole? Where were the opportunities, but also where were the gaps? I, I mean, 
internationally, there's a sort of chat about, you know, 1.5 degrees is still, you know, there's a heartbeat pulse, but perhaps it needs a bit of a, a lifeline. What was the feeling on the ground from those who you met? How much was there conversation around the, I guess, the climate resilience piece, not just the, you know, here's, here's a carbon target? Yeah, I think I think on on the whole on the energy side. So if you think of the COP as is two two pillars basically, you know the the, the race to zero, everything around getting to that one point five or you know target, and then the race to resilience as the second one. On, on the energy side, I think it was viewed as a, as a success. I mean, there were some there were some changes at the very end of the negotiations, but still, you know, some some good good adv- announcements around you know transitioning out of coal. I think what I heard was there was 135 countries that really represent like 90% of, of the global economy have net zero goals. So that's good. We're still in the mode where it's a lot on the pledge side. Companies are pledging to do things and a little lighter on here's the progress we've made so far. I mean, to be perfectly honest, I mean, some of the things coming out of this was some of the trackers is we're still on track for 24 world. And in that world, you're going to have some, in that kind of trajectory, you're going to have parts of the world that are going to still seem ex- see extreme heat and, and extreme rainfall, coastal flooding, landslides. So a lot of climate impacts, it's it's not good in a 2.4 world. So there's still a, a lot of, um, I think, uh, you know, drive to do more on the energy side. But on the resilience side, I think this was a lot of ways, it was just getting resilience elevated where people are talking about it. I know on the last day, there was some disappointment that uh, loss and damage clauses that were going to be in the final um, output were not in in the uh, document. The idea that climate impacts related to, especially in vulnerable countries around loss and damage were not talked about or included was a disappointment. And I think, you know, we need more companies involved. We need, we need to move, still move from, from the pledging, talking about it piece to the action. And you mentioned climate justice. You know, there was some amazing talks there around how this uh, world is going to be for people in Africa and in global south. And I still think that they were underrepresented and probably not as heard as much as they should have, because in a lot of ways, they're, they're going to be impacted the most by climate and they're the least responsible. So a little bit of good, but quite a lot of work still to do there. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And if I could quickly add, you know, right, the the encouraging thing is in the organization that I'm supporting through my company, but within two weeks, we're already planning for COP27. So it's not like we're resting and saying, oh, it was great. You know, it it was, but already we're planning for the next COP27 in Cairo. And I can tell you that that in a lot of ways, it's going to be a, a whole of Africa COP. In, in how how can that country in in the global south better withstand climate shocks? And there's going to be a focus on on adaptation and resilience, uh, finance and nature. So net net zero will still be, of course, a big part of it, but the focus will really be on those three areas, which says a lot that they're already shifting on how can we do a better job in these areas and show actual progress to help people. Yeah, and certainly what I've heard on the ground around the fact that people are having to come back within the year, that the expectation is you bring more commitments and and commit to delivering that action in a sort of shorter time timeline. You know, that's a kind of 
that's the hope, isn't it? That's the hopeful yeah. bit that we can collectively join up and make a difference and all the yeah. difference that's needed. Peter, yeah. you started answering there the the answer to my kind of next question a bit, which is what's next for you? Because, you know, you, you talk about this kind of momentum that's building, but it's still emergent. You know, there's quite a lot of companies and I suspect individuals who ha- haven't yet necessarily started bringing together the idea of their environmental action or indeed impacts with their social action and impacts. What's next for you in terms of your work and, and where you want to see action? So, yeah, there's a few things coming out of COP. Is and I was busy right out of the gate, to be honest. Is so one within the company I work for, Wood, my, my role is shifting a little to focus really on, on climate resilience and ESG. You know, we're seeing ESG in the private sector as if it's done well. And there's so much money locked up in ESG, it could be a huge driver to make the change where we need to get to. So, so within Wood, le- leading, leading a practice around those areas in doing more around, you know, driving projects, working with companies, you know, creating an impact for companies to, to align with that. So that's, that's, that's my, my, my day job, big, big focus for sure. And then staying involved with the Race to Resilience and the Climate Champions team, um, probably in business engagement, but also looking at it as a systems um, challenge. So getting resilience across all the sectors within, within Race to zero, and some of the ones already that are jumping out are agriculture, water, transportation, retail, some of the industrial sectors. Is as those companies do energy, also have them look at resilience. So staying involved in that. The the other thing that I'm going to be more involved in next year, and actually we announced it a copy. It was pretty exciting. Is is a urban resilience fund, a private equity fund to build more resilient projects in the global south especially in Africa. It's with Meridium and the Rockefeller Foundation and Pidge. So I'm on the resilience committee with Meridium to help screen those projects. So um, that's exciting. It's a $10 billion urban resilience fund. And that actually highlights you can't always rely on governments to do this work. You have to generate the money from the private sector. So I'll stay involved in that. And then a couple of side projects, you can tell it's going to be a busy year, is um, with the resilience uh, shift, which has played a big part in the resilience hub. We actually announced at COP something called Resilience Realized, which will be an awards program that we're hoping asset owners will will submit entries to and we have a framework on what great resilience projects look like. So we're trying to use that as a way to really um, drive improvements and drive more projects getting built. Still run our partnership with the Resilience Cities Network. And I do need a vacation. So actually, this is somewhat related to resilience. I'm actually going to do a um, a cross-country ski across Finland, actually in March, but I'm going to use it to raise money for um, the World Bicycle Relief Program, which which uses will use the funds to um, buy bikes and and get them to vulnerable populations in Africa. And actually, it's it's actually an amazing way that people in Africa can reduce their travel time for water, jobs, and um, for me that was really cool because it's a very tactical, tangible way to help people's resilience through something I also do with biking. So that's a few things that I have going on in the next year. Well, I, f- I feel like I need to lie down just listening to all that. <laughs> <laughs> you are going to be very, very busy and me- mega good luck. I like the idea that you're cross country skiing in order to raise money for bikes. <laughs> yeah, I know. Good luck I with know. that. <laughs> it's got to be the way forward. And so I want to just close our conversation today around. You know, if there was one piece of advice, one call to action for anybody who's listening to this, what would it be? 
I think it gets back to what I was saying before is, is, is fine. You know, it's such a big daunting problem, right? And it's easy just to say it's too big is just find a way with whatever you do with that organization, even at, at a personal level, find, find ways that you can, um, you can get involved. I think, you know, the idea that, you know, resilience works best when it's locally led. So that can be wherever you live. So just find ways to get involved. The other thing that I found really interesting is at COP is the idea we just have to listen. So the idea of really listening closely to what people's needs are. Um, I think we all need more empathy too, along with that. And then the idea of just, just continually learn, find things you're interested in, learn about them and try to connect that somehow to, you know, how you can get involved is probably a good start. Well, on those wise words, Peter Hall, thank you so much for sharing your time and your insights with us today. Thank you. Great, great, great to speak with you. And if you like what you've heard today, please do rate and subscribe to us. I would also love to hear your feedback. So please do drop me a line at any time. I'm Katie at businessfightspoverty.org. Many thanks. Brought to you by Business Fights Poverty. 